Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I'm your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. I hope you all had a great new year. So happy to be back with you guys for the first episode of 2020. Hey, when I started this podcast, I was really excited to just be able to sit down with incredibly creative people and hear from them about their creative process. And honestly, one of the first people that came to mind as somebody that I wanted to have a guest on this show was the guest for this week, Clay Hassler. Clay and his family have been family friends of me and my family for as long as I can remember. And he is truly one of the most talented people that I've ever met. He and his wife live in East Nashville and they are filmmakers where they work on a ton of independent films, branded content deals, music videos, all sorts of things. And it was awesome to be able to just sit down and pick his brain about his creative process, the the different projects that he's worked on, and kind of how he goes about putting these projects together and seeing them from start to finish. He's got a great mind for storytelling and just the visual aspect of all of his work has been awesome. He's been making films since high school and we always kind of knew that he was going to go off and do something great and it's been awesome to see his career blossom. He also just welcomed a child into their family and so it was great to talk to him about fatherhood and how he and his wife work together as a team and how their new child kind of plays into that and how uh, he's just kind of part of the team now. And so it was a really awesome conversation and he was kind enough to open up his home for me to come in and talk to him. And I'm so excited to share this with you guys. If you're a creative person, I think you're going to really enjoy hearing from Clay and how he goes about his creative process, putting his films together. As always, we want to thank Ryan Allwart for the music that you're hearing. He created the music specifically for this podcast. So please make sure you go and support him and check out his music. But thank you guys for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this conversation with my friend, Clay Hassler. All right, so East Nashville, how's this been living for you? Um, when did you guys move down here? So we've been in Nashville for now uh, five years, and uh, East Nashville was the neighborhood that we kind of stumbled upon uh, when we were looking to uh, relocate from North Carolina. Um, we have some family here, and they gave us sort of the rundown on a lot of the neighborhoods, and um, most of them up and coming, and so we looked at the Gulch and West End, and... And that's uh, that's my new son. I'm a new, I'm a new dad. You might hear him coming in and out. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we looked at this small house over in um, East Nashville, and um, we're like, man, this is really cool. We love this neighborhood. So we 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 rented for two years, and then um, bought a home here in 2015, and I've been here ever since. And as long as we're going to be in Nashville, we're going to be in East Nashville because we just absolutely love it. Speaking of your son, how's parenthood been treating you so far? Uh, parenthood is absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, uh, our son Harry was born on October 1st, and uh, since then, it's, it's just been a true joy. Um, just all the, the new rhythms of life, the new routines have been really fun, and um, I mean, we're just enamored by him, love him so much, and um, you know, people say, they told us, oh, your life's going to change, and parenting is so hard, and, and I, I have no doubt there are plenty of challenges and um, lots of lots of new horizons um, ahead, but um, we have just cherished each and every day and are just so grateful um, that he's here with us. Your family has been such a good, I guess, group of friends for my family. I think we've known you guys for as long as I can remember. You're my sister's age. Your sister is close mm-hmm. to my age. And um, 
you know, it's just been so fun to to follow, I guess, all the updates from from your sides of the family, but especially, you know, as you guys have become, have become parents, mm-hmm. um, you know, h- how has your life changed, I guess, for the better? Since yeah. that's happened? Cause you know, like you said, there's a lot of people that want to tell you, man, life is going to be so hard, but I mean, for you, it's not really changed a whole lot. In fact, it's actually been probably a lot more, uh, joyful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's strange. Cause I, I think it, it happened so suddenly. Um, and, we were prepared, but we weren't prepared. And I think every every single day we're learning something new and trying to be as responsive. Um, I, that may be the key is just learning to be responsive um, and getting outside yourself of what you think you knew or what you think you know and what you know about yourself, your, your, your threshold, your tolerance for crying and understanding how to be patient and that, um, you know, if the baby's crying or upset that it's because they need something. And... Um, so yeah, all of it's been great. I think even Tiff and I, our marriage is stronger because of Harry. Um, and I think, you know, we're both 33. We've been looking forward to being parents for a long time. And so now that it's finally come, um, we're, we're both just in this season of joy and, um, and we're so grateful. So, um, yeah, I, everything from the feedings, even the midnight feedings to changing poopy diapers, like it's all really, really great. I, it really is. I mean, and he, he like babies like fart in public and I think it's hilarious. Like, um, we took him to see Santa Claus, uh, this past week and we had a little reindeer costume for him. And just before we in, he, uh, pooped his pants. <laughs> and so it's just, you just roll with it, you yeah. know? And so I think. I think what it's done for us too is just help us. It's just, you know, we're, we're pretty um, buttoned up or we, we like to say we are, I don't know, but it makes life chaotic in the best ways possible. What have you learned about yourself and I guess uh, about your marriage since you guys have welcomed Harry into your family? Well, I always knew that Tiff would be an amazing caregiver. Um, you know, that was one of the things that she was always worried about, like, am I going to be a good mom? And uh, the way that she's responded to, all the children in her life from our nieces to kids she grew up babysitting to any babies in our church in our community um she's always just so present um and uh yeah i'm sorry what was the question i'm i was uh just what have you i guess what have you learned yeah. about yourself since yeah. you become a parent because obviously um, there's a lot of things that so, change about your rhythms and your routines and i don't know if you've learned anything about yourself that maybe you didn't know before or just uh that you've discovered about yourself as Clay Hassler that you didn't know before you were a parent? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't know. It's really hard to still, at, even at this time, to still see myself as a dad because um, I still feel like I'm 12, 13 years old, still trying to get my life together in middle school. Um, that's, that's a good question. I, well, I think with any new change where you, whether it's entering into a marriage or becoming a parent, you realize how selfish you are and how much time is dedicated to just fulfilling your own needs. And so now that his needs are Harry's needs need to be met, um, because they do, they, babies can't change themselves. They can't feed themselves. You realize like how much you really have to like put yourself second, um, and in order to take care of, take care of them. So yeah, just learning how selfish you are and, and how to not be so selfish. Yeah. And you and Tiff, as filmmakers, you guys travel quite a bit for different jobs or different different things that you have to do for work. And Harry's already gotten go, gotten to go to L.A. He's already gotten to go to New York. Uh, 
you know, I think one of the things that we were talking about before we recorded was how a lot of people try to tell you it's going to be so hard, your life is going to change, but that has not really been the case for you guys. And honestly, it seems like he's become part of your work so far. I mean, how has that balance been uh, where you've been able to take him with you and all that kind of stuff? I mean, have you run into any challenges or has it been pretty smooth sailing? Um, yes, both and. Uh, there's definitely new challenges because we have to, uh, you know, pack not just film equipment, but basically pack for him. We, we try to be light on our feet um, and try not to make things too fussy. And so, you know, you have to have a car seat with you when you travel. Um, you have to have bottles and diapers and change of clothes and more change of clothes and more change of clothes. Um, so that's that's a new challenge. Um, he's done great on flights, and he's at a he's at a good age right now. He's he's less than three months that he's easy to travel with. I, once he starts crawling, walking around, I'm sure there'll be plenty of other things. But um, you know, we because we are small business owners and we work for ourselves, we just have to roll with it. Mm-hmm. We can't. We didn't have maternity leave. We didn't have paternity leave. We had to kind of keep going. And strangely enough, this is our busiest season from October through December. Um, and it, of course it would have happened right now when we're just, it, things are chaotic, <laughs> but it's, I think great because it's prepared us for this next year. And like, we're not afraid to take them on a trip. Um, of course there are some concessions. Um, Tiff has had to stay behind on a few shoots, um, and, or we've had the opportunity to bring a colleague with us that, have, that have helped out. So just new rhythms, but, um, you know, my parents, I, I grew up with a dad who's a photographer and both he and my mom have worked their entire lives together and my sister and I were just a part of their, their work life. It wasn't weird for us to be at their studio. It wasn't weird for them to have clients at our house. Um, it was just one kind of seamless thing. And I think that's what we're hoping and striving to do with Harry. I think back to when I was in like middle school, and I guess you must have been in high school. And I remember Kelly would come home. You used to produce like some short films when you were even in high school, I feel oh, like. terrible. Like, yes. But they were even like some... Uh, like. I almost like horror films, like scary f- films. And I, you know, at that age, I think, you know, we knew obviously your, your father was a photographer and would do a lot of stuff for the drama department at North and everything. But, um, you know, when I think back to even as young as I can remember, you know, you were producing some f- sort of a film. Mm-hmm. W- when did you know that becoming a filmmaker was the line of work that you wanted to go into? Um, you know, I've always, I, I remember distinctly coming home after school, probably in, in middle school. And this was about the time when digital cameras, well, they were um, HTV cameras were coming onto the market. They were becoming more affordable. Um, my dad was making a lot of uh, films for church. Um, and so he was letting me play around with the cameras. But then Apple um, had a page for movie trailers. And so I would, after school, go to my parents' studio and I'd watch all the trailers. And I just kind of fell in love with filmmaking. And my family and I, we would always watch movies together. And um, Dad took a lot of film studies classes at Western Kentucky. Right. And, Go Hilltoppers. Uh, exactly. And, uh, and so he would, he would basically provide commentary during the films at appropriate times about things we should look for and why directors and these filmmakers made certain decisions. And so that was kind of ingrained. But it was probably around high school when you had to start kind of forecasting what you're going to do or what you think you want to do. That I started to get really serious about it and found that I really loved just kind of creating something from nothing and editing and writing screenplays and working with actors. And, you know, I was a theater kid. And so all those things with the fine arts kind of culminated for me in cinema because it was taking the best out of everything and creating something that was collaborative and then that you could show other people. What's the first work that you can think of that you were truly proud of? 
that you created? Um, well, I remember in yeah high school, we were putting on a production of Dracula in my senior year, and uh, Chris Tyner, um, one of my mentors, was um, spearheading that, and he tasked us to create a trailer that would play before school started. And so we all got in costume and shot all these great scenes, and I think put it to Carmina Burana. Uh, and so it was like super dramatic and it was in black and white. And I remember it played before school, like at 7.30 and like the whole school was silent and it freaked <laughs> people out. And that was the first time I think I had seen something that I had made with some other people that had a, a visceral reaction. I was yeah. like, wow, this is powerful. And we were in every single classroom and I think we sold out every single show. It was packed every night. So that was probably the first time I was like, Wow, you can really do something cool with this. Yeah. And then you went on to Florida State? Yes. College, or mm-hmm. for, did you go there for grad school? Or I did, yeah. I did okay. an MFA there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I guess walk me through, you know, into your 20s, you're out of high school. How did your career progress, I guess, starting with education and then, uh, you know, to, to where you're at now? I mean, what's kind of been, when you, when you think about that time frame, um, how have you progressed as a filmmaker and I guess what did you, whenever you entered that uh, phase of your life in college and that kind of stuff, um, you know, where, where did you feel like your skill level was relative to where you're at now? You know what I mean? Like I know whenever I look back on my journalism career, I went into college thinking, man, I'm going to beat the doors off this place. I know what I'm doing. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I was so naive. So I guess as a filmmaker, kind of what was your process like with that? Oh, same. I mean, I've always been a hothead with that stuff. (laughs) And, um, but you know, the more, you know, the more you you realize you don't know. And, um, uh, I had a great experience at college. And then when I went to grad school at Florida state, it was, um, a real humbling experience. It was really tough for me. And the program was very challenging, um, very rigorous. I had great uh, professors, but I, it was, you had to live and eat and breathe cinema 24-7. I mean, there was you, you did not get accepted into that program to fail, and they, they made sure to let you know that. Um, and so I made a graduate thesis film, and, um, and I, I think it turned out just fine. Um, but I, in the process of making it and after, I realized this is not really who I am as a filmmaker. But one of the great experiences at FSU was seeing um, Barry Jenkins come, who was a recent graduate with his first movie, uh, medicine for melancholy. And he had made it with a few of his friends on a budget of like $5,000 and, um, it had gotten in some great festivals, I think went to Toronto and South by, and, um, he had made it with a DV camera and, um, there was no fussing about it. It was like a five person crew. And I was like, man, that's how I want to make movies. Um, cause in film school we had 20 person crews and, uh, big sets and big theatrics. And I love the kind of street level DIY kind of approach. And so coming out of film school and sort of wanting to redeem that experience with my thesis film, which I didn't feel like was me, I thought, wow, I want to make something that even if I fail at it, at least I can try. And so that's when we started making what would become homeless mm-hmm. um, with really um, our own cameras. We were shot on a 5D Mark III, which was pretty cutting edge at the time. Um, in the streets, using non-actors, filming in a real homeless shelter. And I realized in that process, like, this is my process. I, I love real stories. I love stories that touch people, that are meaningful. It goes beyond just the, the theater or your phone, wherever you're watching it. But it touches you in some way and challenges you to think differently about life. Um, and there's nothing Hollywood about it. It was, it was very hard making that movie. We were in the elements. It was cold. We were in a shelter with, with people actually experiencing homelessness. 
But out of that came a grittiness to the film, a realism that I didn't realize was my voice. Um, and so that, that process of making that film, I think, was a good mirror to myself of like, oh, this is who you are. And, um, and suddenly I started watching movies by like Ken Loach and Sean Baker. And, you know, I grew up on Spielberg and George Lucas and all these other great filmmakers. And, and they have their own place. But lesser known people who are doing really great work and making really meaningful films. And uh, the more I've consumed those type of movies, the more I realize like, oh, those are the filmmakers I really want to strive to be. So I would say my 20s and my early 30s has just been a real growth experience because it's, I think it's hard to be a writer or a filmmaker if you don't have a voice. Right. And that can be intimidating because everyone says that. You got to find your voice. But um, I think that is a process by itself. I got to see Homeless a few years ago when you came to Evansville. There was some kind of a film festival and mm-hmm. you were in town showing it there. Um, and I felt like, you know, obviously I, I, I'm not a film connoisseur by any means, um, but I watched that and I felt like, um, you know, it was definitely like a journal, it had a journalistic feel to mm-hmm. it. And there's a real storyline to it. And, you know, for me, I learned a lot about what people go through when they're homeless. And mm-hmm. frankly, like since then, uh, not necessarily because of this movie, but uh, I think the latter part of my twenties into my into my thirties now, I've really developed a heart for homeless mm-hmm. people. And you know, the more that you see that kind of stuff, the more that you start to realize, man, that's some truth to it. So I guess whenever you're telling stories, um, you know, doing any film like that, I mean, how much of it is like you, know, you didn't go to school for journalism, but mm-hmm. there's a journalistic aspect to it. How much do you really enjoy like that? storytelling aspect of you know putting on a film is one thing you have great theatrics and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but the storyline especially whenever there's truth to it i think takes on a whole other element i agree i agree and um and honestly there's a big debate right now about what is cinema you know martin scorsese wrote an op-ed in the new york times and had those comments that he made mentioned at a film festival about marvel movies and I, I think he makes some really valid points that um, we need to be consuming that kind of content because it, it does make us better people. Um, film or news articles, journalism, novels, nonfiction work, they can make us better people. And um, I think the more that we consume quick, fast content, fast cinema, you know, I, I think it does have adverse effects. And so... Um, I'm a huge proponent of slow cinema, of really developing on a story. I also love the marriage of nonfiction and fiction. Um, I want people to watch films or films of mine and say, I really don't know what was real and what was made up. Right. Um, as long as it's... Because you don't know if that actor in your movie is a real homeless kid or yeah, if it's an actor. Absolutely. And um, I think that was his first film, his right? His first and only to this day. He was yeah. awesome. And uh, and I kind of love that. And and Ken Loach and Sean Baker do the same thing. They cast non-actors, but it brings such authenticity to the story. And and ultimately, that's what we're getting down to is, is it authentic? Would this really happen? Um, I think you do have to suspend disbelief in a theater at times, but... Um, you know, people know how to gauge truth. And, and if you're not telling the truth, then it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your creative process. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, re- I seem to remember, was it like the first 10 minutes of Homeless where there's not even a, a single word of dialogue spoken? I mean, there's quite a yeah. there's quite a long time before there's even a word spoken mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's got to be done intentional. Um, you know, that, that was very, it was very powerful because... Mm-hmm. You're, as, a, as a viewer, you're gripped. You're not, yeah. you know, you're not relying on dialogue to tell you what's going on. You're like, kind of like why Wally was so successful. Yeah, right. and you're having to watch it, and you're 
gripped by the, the, the scenes on the screen, you know, I guess, how did you figure out that that was the way that you wanted to tell that story rather than using a bunch of words? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my process has changed. It's homeless. Um, homeless was really made in the edit. Um, and because it was our first feature film and, um, I felt like we were new, we knew what we were doing at the time, but we were also kind of learning how to tell a story over a 90 minute period. And so as we started cutting the film together and finding its rhythms and finding that it's, it's a slow drip. I mean, it, it kind of has a steady kind of slow pace the, and we wanted to be authentic to what it would really be like. These are long days for these people out in the cold, not having, um, you know, warm spaces just to go into and they have to find public spaces like the library. And so, um, and I also love silence in movies. I mean, film started as a silent art form. Right. Um, and so the more that we could stretch that out and you could just kind of dwell in it and also just force the audience to slow down. Like we're so used to looking at our phones, flipping through news articles and just say, slow down and just trust us to take you into this. And that way you get into the rhythm of film. So, um, it was intentional, but it, it really didn't happen until the edit. Yeah, I just thought it was super powerful, and I didn't know anything really about the movie whenever mm. I sat down to watch it, and I was just like, man, this is incredible. Because, mm. like I said, I don't I, I see a lot of the big movies that are out in theaters. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. consider myself a film uh, connoisseur by any means. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I just thought that was incredibly powerful and you know a neat way to tell a story. Um, and then you have a new project out that you're working on yeah. called Cashville. What can yeah. you tell us about that? Yeah, I'm so excited about this because I've been working on it for almost four years and uh, just in this, just the script. Um, and I think we're getting really close. Um, I just did a read in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago um, with some actors down there and it went over really well. I got some great feedback and then we have another read coming up in North Carolina. It's going to be a ticketed event um, and it'll sort of be, uh, we'll have um, actors uh, portraying the parts will be read to a live audience. So um, it's it's essentially it's a it's a it's a character driven piece based around a quick and loan center called Cashville, which there's a couple of them actually here in Nashville. Um, I spent two uh, roughly two years shadowing uh, this owner proprietor of uh, Cashville on Fifth Avenue um, here in downtown Nashville, and he was very very generous to let me come in, and I just kind of listened to the people coming in, their stories, what their needs were. You know, these places give out payday loans, they do money transfers, uh, Western Union. Uh, they're often demonized a lot. Um, and I think a lot of them do take advantage of people. This one was uh, a lot more honest and sincere. And it was also just trying to get behind the counter and see, well, what's this guy's life like? And and um, and so out of that experience, um, kind of create this ensemble piece about these different people from different backgrounds, socioeconomics, race, coming together at this place and seeing how their lives intersect. So ultimately, the way I'm pitching it right now is Cashville, the neighborhood center for quick and loans and money transfers, begins to buckle under the weight of change as the neighborhood and its residents become increasingly more hostile towards one another. Um, so a lot of it too is about just how my own neighborhood and community is changing with gentrification. And there's a lot of good things happening in East Nashville, but there's also a lot of like really, you know, authentic parts of this city that are disappearing. And, and so what does that look like when you put those different groups of people together? Right. You've got some million dollar homes selling, um, in East end and, um, and yet there's still poverty all around us. So right. it's kind of an examination of that. It's a very fast paced, very dialogue heavy film. Um, you know, I got to do police ride alongs with Metro here and 
because we do have a police officer who's one of the main characters. And so just really try to dig into that authenticity, but um, I'm really jazzed about it. And I'm, I'm hoping we get to shoot it either this coming year in 2020 or hopefully shortly after. How much research goes into your projects then? Because that's just for that one aspect of learning about somebody that works at one of these places. Mm-hmm. You shadow them for a day. You know, that's a lot of, you have to have all, all kinds of data and information yeah, to be able yeah. to make these accurately. Um, yeah, how much research does go into a project and how seriously do you take that research component of it? Yeah, I mean, I there uh, I, I took the research very seriously and um, I spent probably a year at least once every two weeks just going in for the day. And, you know, I, I'd sometimes work on other stuff if it was, if it was slow, but I would keep my um, Word document open and I would write dialogue as it was said. So there's actually a lot of dialogue wow. in the film that was transcribed from these interactions. That's cool. um, and... And then also finding the voice of that and just the way people talk and then building characters out of that dialogue. Um, and like I said, with the police ride along, like that was an 11 hour shift I got to do with an officer here and saw every scene imaginable and crime scenes and motorcycle accident and break-ins, everything. And they just let me, they let, literally let me um, just come along for the ride for all of it. I was in the passenger seat um, and it was a really cool experience. And again, I took, a lot of that and had it recorded and then just put it right in the screenplay. So as you're working on a film like that, you, I've assumed you have other side jobs that you're working on mm-hmm. too. I mean, what does a typical week or month look like for you work-wise as you're kind of balancing the variety of things that you have on your plate? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's different. Um, a lot of times... Especially now with a kid in the mix. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's very different, um, but really good. There's, I would say that we have concentrations of specific um, needs. So we'll be in production maybe for a couple weeks. So we're constantly on the road, kind of bouncing from city to city or focusing on one specific project from pre-production, which can involve emails with our clients or the brands or the agencies we're working with to getting into production. We're on site for a week or two and then coming back where we might have a cycle of editorial for a few weeks after that. Um, so it's, it's different every year. We kind of know when our, our biggest kind of times of the year or just busiest times of the year um, occur and try to prepare for that. But um, generally, as far as my creative process, I like to write first thing in the morning. Um, so before I engage any client work, I try to write from like six to nine, ten o'clock, mm-hmm. um, and then I kind of burn out after that. Um, lately, with with having Harry, um, because he's a morning person right now, um, my attention is on him, and so I'll write in the afternoon, which generally I, I kind of hate doing. Like from right. one to four, creatively, I'm just like not with it. I can get other work done, but as far as like being imaginative and writing a script, like it's just not my time, but I've, I've had to shift it to that and it's been okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so with writing, it's been different the last three months. And I think come January one, I'll have a new process, but I try to write every day for mm-hmm. at least a couple hours. Yeah. There's a lot of people that have talked about that, that are writers and I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. Like I wish that I had the discipline to write every day, but I, I was telling a writer friend about this the other day, like, if there's a day when I don't feel it, like I don't want to write something that I know is not going to be good. Sure. So there, there have been days whenever I've gone weeks without writing anything yeah. with for my book. And it sucks because I'll go back and I'll have to kind of retrain my brain to be like, oh, this is the frame of mind I was in. So it's not necessarily the best discipline, but um, you know, I always admire people that can carve out that time every day because 
I don't have a kid yet, and I still yeah. can't even find the ability to do that. But you and Tiff work on a lot of your films, like all the films together, pretty much. I yeah. mean, what is your what does your team look like? Because it can't just be you two that are doing this. I mean, how many other people do you have working with you, and how do you get like how do you see these projects from start to finish? Yeah, I, I guess it just varies on the scale of the project. Um, sometimes it is just her and I on site, um, and we have to do everything: run sound, um, produce, shoot. Um, yeah, uh, be, a, you know, um, a conduit for the client. Um, sometimes we have 35 people on set with us. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've done that for some music videos and commercials. And I honestly, I like kind of oscillating between both. Um, I kind of like being a one-man band sometimes. And it's also nice to be a part of a team. Um, so, yeah, Tiff is kind of focuses more on the producing side. She's also a great editor and story developer, um, my background kind of is more in directing um, and writing. And so together, you know, it, it becomes so collaborative that the lines do get blurred. Um, Did you guys meet at Florida State? We actually met in college at Asbury College okay. um, just before then. Tiff was a psych major and I studied English Lit. And um, Tiff then went on to do higher education um, at Florida State um, and got a master's um, in that. And then when we moved to Nashville, she wanted to transition to producing full-time mm -hmm. and, and working together. And so we've been doing it for five years now. That's awesome. So now that you're in Nashville, what kind of work? I mean, you mentioned music videos. Do you mm -hmm. do music videos for some of the musicians that live here locally? Or like what kind of stuff do you do here to where you found Nashville was kind of the right spot for you guys? Yeah. Um, yeah, I say music videos and commercials are kind of the bread and butter here in Nashville. I were hoping to cultivate. Harry's more. trying to make his debut. In I know the podcast. He, he's, <laughs> he's like, why am I not in this? Um, he, we're wanting to have more of an independent film scene here in, in similar ways to how Austin kind of has been for the last like 20, 25 years. Right. Um, so it's funny because we don't get to film in the city as much as we'd like to. Um, we're mostly on the road. So yeah. What, what's some of your favorite parts about Nashville? Because I'm I, one of the reasons why I'm excited to be living in Bowling Green is we're just an hour away from Nashville yeah, now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Emily and I love coming down here and touring all the different food places and shopping places and all that. But I guess since you lived here for five years now, what are some of your favorite spots around Nashville? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely... Um, uh, I, I mean, I love our neighborhood, East Nashville. I, I would selfishly say we have everything we need over here and that is true i mean there's new restaurants and coffee shops and bars opening every single week um and the ones that you know have an environment have a scene like they take off and they stay and they mm -hmm. become stables of the community um so the food scene here is incredible and it's only getting better um i think it's i think east nashville has also become very family friendly mm -hmm. you know all the hipsters have grown up <laughs> and got married and started having kids uh, you know, so there's breweries with playgrounds right, um, yeah. and great pizza. And so it's, it, it doesn't become so segmented that it's like, oh, if I want to go out, I got to go do my – no, it's like just bring the kids along with you. And that, there's We have a great park, Shelby Park over here. That's where I love to run. We love to take walks there. Um, there's playgrounds. So when Harry gets old enough, he'll be able to get dirty and, you know, crawl up and uh, have fun with that. Um, I, you know, it's exciting to be a part of the new South, if that's what we want to call it. Yeah. Uh, there's so much heritage here. Um, and the best of the South, I think is starting to really sort of the hospitality, the food, the diversity, um, that I think is what's, what's making Nashville take off. Um, the fact that it's still affordable, um, there's a lot of migrants here from New York and Los Angeles. Um, and I feel like you can have a lifestyle here, um, and, and have fun and not be 
living paycheck to paycheck just to pay your rent. Creatively, how has it helped you to be here? I mean, I know like whenever I come here, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just the fact that there's so many creative people that live here, but I always feel different when I'm in Nashville. Mm -hmm. You know, Emily and I always try to come and see concerts in Nashville. If we're going to see our favorite artists, we're going to want to see them in Nashville rather than some other city. It just something feels different about mm -hmm. Nashville and I can't quite put a thumb on it, but I don't know if you, have you felt that? Like, is there something about Nashville that like, I don't know, kind of has a vibe to it that helps your creativity or give, makes you feel a certain way. I don't know. That's, yeah. that's always how I felt whenever I've, whenever I've been here. No, for sure. I think it's a double-edged sword because I think you move to Nashville to do something. You're not just like coming here to settle down. Right. Like you're moving here to, to everybody's got a purpose when they're exactly. here. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, so that, so everyone has, there's tons of energy. Everyone's highly motivated. Everyone's doing something. It seems like there's just a lot of people in our age bracket that are moving here too. Mm -hmm. A lot of creative people in our age bracket, which th that momentum I feel like has got to create some excitement as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you go to the coffee shops and they're full during the day. You go to the bars, they're full during the day. Um, you know, the nine to five, this is not a nine to five working community. Right. Um, most people probably on our street work from home or they're just in a, a different profession. They're a profession, they're a musician or they, they work, they're in the music industry or they're in something else, entertainment of some kind. And so just the idea of like everyone getting in their car, leaving and coming back at five and having a family dinner, it's like you don't see that just because it's just very fluid here. Um, and yeah, there's just a real energy to the city. I think that's really fun. I think um, as I mentioned earlier, I do want to be a part of cultivating more of an independent film scene here. Um, and th that's one thing I do think we lack. I, there are a lot of great filmmakers in the community doing some amazing stuff, but more of a community based around like cinema and feature films and documentaries um, that I think we don't have as much as we do as like Austin or New York or even LA. But, you know, I don't want to at this point in my life, be in Los Angeles. I don't want to be in New York. I right. want to be here because I think there's some really amazing stories to tell. And I think you can also have some room to, you know, exercise your voice. Right. Um, if somebody's coming to Nashville for the first time, what are some food recommendations or bar recommendations that you have for them? Um, I would tell anyone who's coming here that my, my first recommendation, if you want like true Nashville southern soul food um my favorite place is bailey and kato's in madison um they used to be okay. in east nashville um and they closed uh and the the children i think of the original owners inherited and so it was like devastating when they were closed for a year but it's an old school meat and three and uh i mean they have fried chicken they have oxtails they have chicken and dressing ribs mac and cheese and so if i just want like comfort food that's where i go and it's really really it's stupidly affordable they should be charging a lot more because their <laughs> food is so good um i also love ramen um so 210 jack here in nashville is great um hot chicken's amazing um uh, i'm also very partial to my cousin just opened a barbecue place uh in um it's not Bell Mead. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Shane. I'm like blinking right now. Uh, Bellevue uh, called Honey Fire. Okay. And it's some of the best barbecue I've ever had in my life. Wow. Okay. I mean, he, he's a pit master that's won a ton of awards at barbecue competitions and just a grassroots guy, a grassroots family. And they've created this culture uh, and, and this vibe at this place that's taken off. They have celebrities pretty much walking in every single day because um, they've heard about them on the news or read them right. about them on a blog. Um, so Honey Fire Barbecue in Bellevue is just killer. 
do you ever go down to 12 South or is that almost too touristy? Now? Um, no, we used to quite a bit. It's gotten a little bit busier since we moved here. Um, because we South love is, Burger Up, which is down there. Burger Up's great. There's actually one in East Nashville now too. Okay, well, there yeah, you go. So All right. Yeah. You don't have to leave East yeah. Nashville then. You're Why right. leave? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite coffee shop in Nashville? Uh, let's see. There's a place called um, Slow Hand that opened up on Gallatin. Okay. Um, that I, their coffee's amazing. It's a good vibe. Um, there's also Dose Wrap History from us. That's really good. They have a bottomless cup, which I appreciate not nice, paying yeah. $5 per cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, and so you can get like a bottomless cup for two fifty, and they have a nice cafe bistro there. Um, ugly mugs in East Nashville is good. Uh, if you want something a little fancy, you go to barista parlor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Frothy Monkey is one of our favorites, but I feel like Emily's really good about picking out different coffee shops. I mean, mm-hmm. she hears a lot of them on podcasts or reads about them in books. From a lot, a lot of our favorite musicians and authors and podcasters are based out of Nashville. So mm-hmm. it seems like we're we stay pretty in tune with the Nashville scene, which is yeah. kind of you know why I was excited to move to Bowling Green because we can just hop down here on totally. a on a Monday night whenever yeah. we want to go to Madewell or do yeah. whatever else we need to it's do in your backyard. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, kind of shifting back to your career a little bit. Whenever you kind of think about, you know, where you started, uh, I guess in college till now. I mean, what's what's the one thing you've learned about God throughout mm-hmm. your profession? And now, obviously, being a parent, you know, as you've kind of moved into this phase of adulthood. I mean, what have you learned about God and who He is and His character, and kind of how that relates into what you're doing uh, as a filmmaker and your profession and all that? Yeah, um, I would say. I would in the last couple of years, um, I've really gotten into a few authors, um, N.T. Wright being one of them, and the other is Michael Heiser, um, and both are New Testament scholars. Mm-hmm. Um, both are very versed in the culture. Um, oh, Michael Heiser is kind of more of an Old Testament guy, but um, they're the, they're very versed in the culture of the time and the day, and so they're exegeting the Bible and also looking at what did first century Hebrews think? How did they believe? Um, whereas we're so used to like post-enlightenment thought. Um, and so uh, N.T. Wright wrote a book called The Day the Revolutionary, The Revolution Began, and a book before that, which is more well-known, called Surprised by Hope. And I read those two books and it just blew my mind. Right. Um, and so a lot of them do talk about God's character and how it's consistent um, across time and the consistency between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And just... Um, yeah, we talk a lot about faith, I think, in Christian communities. Um, really, the word I think we should be using more often is faithfulness. And, um, and I think that's probably the thing I've learned most about God is his faithfulness. Um, and, you know, timing with Harry coming into the world and uh, for us being in the right spot um, to, to become his parents. Um, and also just timing with, with films and projects. It's like it's, it's hard for us to be patient, but knowing that uh, God is faithful in everything and he has a plan. So that's probably what I've learned most. Yeah, I've written quite a bit about that idea of patience. Um, You know, like the title of this podcast is In No Hurry. And Mm. it's just this whole idea of, especially during this season of Christmas and New Year's where everybody's crazy about their schedule and they're always running around and we don't really want to wait for anything. You know, I wrote one of the chapters of my book talks about this. You know, even if you go to get coffee, a lot of times people don't want to wait for five minutes for their cup of coffee and they don't have this any patience to, to wait on anything. And I think that's definitely true when it comes to things going on in our lives. Like for instance, you know, as you guys were preparing to welcome Harry into your lives, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of praying and waiting that Mm -hmm. went into that, whether it's a a work project or becoming a parent, there's a lot of waiting and 
even the strongest Christians can ha- sometimes have a hard time, I think, of waiting, of yeah. just sitting there and allowing God to do what he is doing on his own time. I mean, how have you, or I guess, what have you learned about God in the sense that his timing is right? And it's it, although it is hard for us to wait, it is what we have to do. And I guess during those times of waiting, what have you learned about God's faithfulness to you? Because I think it's a great way to put it, faithfulness, not just faith, but faithfulness. Yeah. Um, let me just take a minute to think about that uh, without having too long of a pause that makes it <laughs> awkward for a podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, when we were kind of waiting for Harry, um, I, I feel like there was some, you know, we experienced some really dark times, um, some loneliness, and the wait felt much longer than it was. And I just remember kind of feeling somewhat hopeless during that time. Um, and then once he did come, uh, it suddenly all disappeared. And and I knew why it took that long. I knew it, or an understanding or peace about it, I should say. Um, sort of there was a, a better understanding of like that time of waiting and looking back on it now and knowing that in our lives we'll experience a lot of different seasons of waiting that you really have to lean into it and be prayerful that God is faithful. Um, and also not to let that time waste away. I think we kept looking, we were looking forward to the day that we would become parents. And um, and that's easier said than done, but I, I think it's good to rest in the time of expectation and to be patient in those times um, and to, to be more dependent on those times, depend on God. Because um, I think some amazing things can happen. I know even in those dark times, for me as a as a filmmaker, were some of my most creative times. Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't fat and happy sitting around, but I was like really, really in some some supernatural like kind of dark spiritual struggles that were really tough. And but out of that, I was able to like make sense of some things and start writing again. Yeah, I think that's well. Th- my book was kind of birthed out of one of those periods, mm-hmm. and I think. Um, you know, anybody that's listening that's gone through those periods and you feel like, you know, for me, that was like, I've gone through periods where I feel like I have no creative energy yeah. and then I have a lot of creative energy. Uh, you know, for me, it, those, not that I wish those dark times would come more frequently, but it's like that, that was the time whenever I realized, man, I, I really do have a lot that I need to share. And they say a lot of times, you know, you're, this is really cliche, but like, you, you know, your valleys uh, you can't have your, your peaks without your valleys, totally. all that kind of stuff. You know, that's super cliche. But like the point is, you know, a lot of times the best stories come from those valleys. You know, yeah. I don't know how much of that has seeped its way into your work per se. But, you know, as you've gone through those those challenges, you know, just in life, you know, it's hard for anybody, I think, to balance stresses in life with trying to continue doing work well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How have you found... Uh, your rhythm in maintaining that balance? Yeah. Um, I, I think when, you know, when we started the process of, you know, wanting to, to have a family, um, there was a good two to three year stretch where I was like really not feeling creative at all. And I think this part of it was just, I was too concerned about our future as parents, our future as a married couple and just didn't feel the energy. I'm like, well, if you can't have a family, what's the point of doing anything? I mean, that's like, should be the centerpiece of your life. Um, but when it got like really desperate just before we got Harry was also when I felt like you got to really lean into some of this darkness because there's some cool things 
that can come of this. And um, so, like, I went through a pretty serious bout of depression back in the spring. And, um, but out of that, I've been, I've been wanting to make a horror film my whole life. And, um, <laughs> like, a serious one. I've always wanted to do a possession film. And, um, and I felt like, man, depression feels a lot like what it must be like to be under the influence of something. Yeah. That's speaking falsehoods into your life and so and I and I started thinking back when I I realized too in my 30s that I've been dealing with depression my whole life I just didn't know what it was or how to deal with sometimes it sometimes it masks itself differently it too. really does and I and so I started going back to like I really started having these same feelings in middle school and that was like just yeah. a very anxious time for me and so I've I've started I'm 60 pages in on this like horror film about this possession movie about this kid in middle school and wow. it's really a commentary on depression um, and you know, bullying and the influence of your peers on you. And um, I'll tell you what, it's been a thrill to write. And it's, you know, Cashville took me about three years just to get a first draft. And I'm almost done with first draft and I've been probably working on it for two months. But it's it's coming from such a, a painful place. But it's also very cathartic to write at the same time. Like, I don't feel like I have to relive those experiences, but I finally get to express it in a way that I think can be helpful for other yeah. people. How do you balance working on so many different projects that have so many different topics. Like mm. for me, I'm working on one book with one topic and that's hard enough sure, as it yeah. is. You've got a horror film with another type of film with the other side projects you're working on. How do you keep it all straight in your head to where you're not going crazy and forgetting what everything is all about? Totally. I, I had to work on one at a time. So what I do is I just kind of set goals for myself, like for Cashville, let's get this next draft done before I pick up this other project again. And then I can get a little closure on mm -hmm. that. I think it's also good to have some distance in your work. And so put away for a couple of weeks, forget about it. And then you come back to it fresh. Good writing is rewriting. And um, at least for me, it is like I I didn't start writing some decent things probably till like six or seven drafts in. And right. If I was like, oh, this thing has some legs, and I can work off of this, but before that, I was like crap after crap after crap. Um, so I I kind of just like mentally shut off, get to a place where I'm like, I can show this to somebody. So I'll just set this aside, and I'm gonna start working on this other thing, and then I'll set a goal for that. Let's at least get through draft one, and then I can work back on right. this other script. So. And I assume discipline is a huge factor in what you do. I mean, you know, I think for anybody that is successful at anything, whether it's a business or making a film, writing a book, creating a song, discipline is a huge component. I mean, I guess when you think about that idea in terms of your own work, how, how do you, how important is having that discipline in this is what I'm doing today. This is what I'm working on tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's so important. Um, as it's like exercising, it's like reading anything. You know, if you want a healthy brain, you want a healthy body, you have to keep up with it. I think you, you know, writing is a craft. Um, it's also uh, a process, and so learning what your the process is, how you problem solve. Um, probably the times when I don't want to write and I'm not motivated is probably when I do my best writing. When I actually force myself to sit down and say, whatever, yeah. even if you write some really crappy pages, get one page out or get to page 63. Um, and that way you've done it and you can go back and rewrite it, which is the fun part. Like, just so you enjoy that part because I find that to be super tedious. The, the rewriting or? Yeah, the rewriting. So you so you enjoy, which I don't necessarily yeah. not enjoy it, sure. but you know, it's, it's hard to write a page and then go back and then rewrite, rewrite it six yeah. or seven times. So you actually yeah. enjoy that process. Then. I, I've grown to enjoy it more so um, recently because I know that's where the good stuff comes. Right. Um, and sometimes you look at it and you're like, you know, it's, it kind of works. 
Um, but it's fun to get in there and to kind of see it objectively if you can do that. Because when you're in it, you're it's hard to see outside of it. It's hard to be subjective or objective, I should say, and because you're so emotionally attached to it. But then, like once it's on the page and it's its own thing, you can kind of go in and doctor it up a little bit, change a few things. So yeah. I actually really do enjoy it. So with all these things that you have going on in your life, I guess with the idea that this podcast is called In No Hurry and it's all about slowing down, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess what what do you do to maintain? Um, kind of some balance in your life, you know, to make sure that your life doesn't get too hectic to where you're overextending yourself. Well, I'm not good at doing that right now. Uh, <laughs> my goals for the new year. I guess I should ask you in a year after yeah, you've been a father for yeah. a year. Well, I, I, it's all about good habits, which right now, um, when I tend to get busier in life, my, the good habits of like reading a book or sitting down to watch a good film or cooking a slow dinner, you know, those kind of go by the wayside. And so what I'm trying to do in the new year is to a quit Twitter, um, just because I'm consumed by it. I'm addicted to it. Uh, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy reading it, but it's also incredibly like destructive and terrible. It's a terrible place, but I, I, so I'm going to quit that and I'm going to quit reading the news every day. And, and just now I'm glad I got out of journalism (laughs) because yeah, um, and not that it's not important, but I, I consume it to an unhealthy degree, um, and, and spend more time just reading a novel, spend more time watching a good film, um, and also just not being on my phone, like not bringing my phone to bed and those kinds of things. So, um, and also like, I've also read a lot of Eckhart Tolle recently and, and he's, he's like, you know, if you want to be president of the world, when you're in the grocery store line, you're waiting to get checked out. There's five people in front of you as opposed to getting on your phone, looking at Facebook, just stand around and just be present. Uh, so trying to be, become more in the habit of practicing those kinds of things. So as we enter a new year, um, you know, you guys are welcoming a new life into your family. Mm-hmm. I guess, what are you looking forward to the most in this upcoming year? And I guess kind of the next season of life for you, Tiff and Harry. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I do feel like we're coming at a close of a chapter of the last five years. Like, maybe not the close, but we're opening a new chapter, obviously with parenthood um, and hoping to get some of these new projects off the ground. Um, yeah, I'm just excited about the new rhythms. Uh, I'm excited. I mean, Harry is going to continue to grow, and so there's going to be new discoveries about him. Um, you know, he'll be crawling before you know it. He'll be walking after that. I don't want those things to come too quickly, but it's going to be really fun just to see those things unfold and also to see how we kind of fold into becoming parents, um, learning how to adapt, um, keeping it fresh, keeping it fun, um, trying not to take our too ser- ourselves too seriously, and settling into the season of our lives where we've, we're out of our 20s, so things aren't so awkward anymore. Right. You know, we've kind of landed on our feet, so to speak, if you can call it that. Things are always, you know, just in flux. But just settling into like, man, this is the good life. We've, we're parents. Um, we're happily married. We love simple things. And, uh, yeah, just falling into those rhythms. Oh, great. Anything that we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Uh no, man, just thankful for the opportunity. I hope I didn't talk your ear off. I can be a bit long-winded. <laughs> yeah, we already talked for an hour before we even recorded. So. <laughs> no, I really appreciate you opening up your house, and it was great to finally meet your new son. And Emily's in there with Tiff right now talking mm-hmm. to him. So I think I think he wanted to be on the podcast. He was crying a little bit, wanting to be on. So maybe maybe people that are listening can pick him up a little bit. I think they also heard some of the sirens of East Nashville, too. We yeah, got, totally. Got a lot it's, of stuff going on I, here. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, people are always uh, like freaked out when they hear like an ambulance go by. And it's like, I don't even hear them anymore, or police cars or whatever. It's just part of, the, part of it. I lived in downtown Evansville. We heard them all the time. Yeah, so. totally. You're in a big city. You're going to hear sirens. But, yeah. but no, thank you so much. This was awesome. And, 
you know, excited just to, to see um, the progress of your next feature film. I assume it's Cashville is kind of a feature film yeah. type. Okay. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, um, you know, you'll be touring that somewhere near where we can go watch it yeah. and uh, excited to, to obviously follow along with your guys's parenthood and see all the all the pictures and all that it's just exciting for you guys and like i said earlier you know your family's been such dear friends to our family so very happy for you guys and happy that you guys get to welcome a new life into your family so thank you so much for doing this and excited to see what lies ahead for you yeah thanks man it's been fun y'all i'm serious if you have not seen clay's work please visit the links that i have in the episode description and visit his website Visit the website for Homeless the Film. Check out the work that he's done because it is some really high quality stuff. If you're into really, really good film, Clay has done some awesome things. He and his wife do such a great job. And I was very fortunate that I got to sit in on a screening of Homeless the Film several years ago back in Evansville. And he's just such a great storyteller. And as a journalist myself, I really enjoy hearing his process of how he goes about bringing these stories to life. So if you enjoyed this episode, make sure that you reach out to Clay. Let him know that you enjoyed hearing him on this episode. His social media will be in this description as well. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, letting us know what you enjoyed about the show. If you got questions for Clay, reach out to him as well. If you got questions for me, you know where to find me. Cole Claiborne on pretty much any social media, or you can email me, coleclaiborne at gmail.com. But thank you guys for listening. I don't say this enough, but there's a lot of you guys that have listened each week, and I'm really thankful for you guys. You guys are the reason why I do this show, and I've enjoyed bringing you these different guests, and I hope that you have found that there has been a good variety of content and ideas, and I just hope that it inspires you, encourages you, uplifts you, and if you're in a creative rut, I hope these conversations kind of help bring you out of that and spark a little bit of creativity in your own mind and it's the new year so it's a great time to go out and start accomplishing some goals that maybe you didn't accomplish last year or uh, you've got some goals set for this year that now is a great time to go ahead and start doing that start now in january don't wait till february or march because it becomes even harder so i hope these conversations bring you that encouragement and the motivation that you need next week i hope we'll do the same thing stephen copeland will be my, will be my guest next week And Stephen is a good friend of mine. He has helped me quite a bit in my process of writing. And he is truly one of the smartest people that I have ever talked to. And theologically speaking, next week's conversation is going to be super heavy. And I'm really excited to bring that because it's so different than any of the conversations that I've had. But also, his writing process is awesome to hear about. He is a co-author to a number of popular books, but he also has written... A book on his own and so we talk quite a bit about that and just faith and it gets pretty deep so if you're into deep discussions and deep theological talk i think you're really going to like next week's episode but thank you all so much for listening and we will see you next week